Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions. Hello and welcome to the 401 podcast. This is Lisa Jones, your host and moderator for our episode today, 2022 and beyond, advocating for your professional and personal passion. 411 is a podcast where we communicate the information you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind healthy eating, nutrition, and the profession. Today is my pleasure to have our guest, Manju Karkari and Sandra Rogers with us today. Welcome, Manju and Sandra. It's very exciting. First, I want to introduce Manju. Manju is a nationally recognized leader, speaker, and activist. In short, she's a known disruptor or rebel. She has an adventurous and curious yet altruistic spirit that has shaped her career and public service. Being a compassionate healthcare provider, she has gained a vast experience in the field of dietetics, has successfully built her private practice, and loves to share her culinary skills through demos for corporate wellness. I am so excited to hear what you have to bring to us today. Welcome, Manju. Thank you, Lisa. Excited to be here for the first episode. Yes, it's an inaugural episode. And then Sandra. Sandra is an avid reader. She enjoys discussing the novels she reads with her friends. She's eating the new dishes her husband now cooks. So we learn, we're excited to hear more about that. (laughs) as we talk a little bit more. And of course, the full professional bios you can find on our website. So with that, I want to begin. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. So what I'll do, since it's called the 401 Podcast, the first time you're hearing this, we will do a series of four questions about the topic area that we're talking about today. And today our topic area is 2022 and beyond, advocating for your professional and personal passions. So that's what this entire episode will be discussing. I'm so excited about this. My first question is going to go to Sandra. When did you first realize your passion for advocating and why is it so important? My father was a surgeon and my mother ran his medical practice. And they taught me at a very young age that patients who have involved family members have better outcomes. They also taught me to meet with doctors, to ask questions, to take notes and to keep an eye on everything that was happening with the patient. So I kind of grew up with those ideas in mind, watching my parents do it and having them teach me how to do it, to advocate for myself and for my younger brother. Oh, that's great. So you were starting from tiny, tiny, little, little advocating, (laughs) (laughs) which is amazing because that's not always the case in families and the stories that we hear. Thank you for sharing. I want to ask you, Manju, the same question. Well, similar to Sandra, my parents were healthcare providers as well. And I grew up in India and servant leadership was just part of how I grew up and being in service of the community was something that all of us did. My grandparents were 
in healthcare fields over my parents and many of my cousins and even my sister right now is in healthcare field as well. But having moved here and not being a citizen, you know, for a while, I didn't really recognize the importance of really how we play a role in advocating for certain things, especially in the civil civic world, right? And I was not a citizen of the United States for quite many years. And when I could not vote in a presidential election, and I really, really felt it was very important for me to do so, and I got really engaged in voter education and voter registration, it really lit a fire in me. And I said, I not only do I have to become a citizen, because my vote is important, but it was important for me to get engaged in making sure others were also learning why it was important that every person's vote really does count. And we are recording this on such an awesome day today that, you know, we're talking about how it really matters. Everyone's voice matters. It definitely does. And and I like hearing the similarities between the two. Like this is something that started since you were little and your passion just continues to grow, which is amazing. Thank you for sharing. So that brings me to a lot of our listeners are probably wondering if they're not advocating, how can they start? So my next question is, what do you think is the most effective way to advocate not only for yourself, but for others? Well, one of the things that I learned was partly, as I said, when I realized that I couldn't actually vote. And even though things that were important to me, and this was about national elections or, you know, the community that I lived in and the things that were happening around me were actually going to impact my life because I was a resident of the community, right? But I couldn't take part in those things that the decisions that were being made. So that was part of my civil life. But then I recognize that there are other things that I can take part in that I can have my voice heard in, such as my professional organization, for example. And I could get involved and be part of that and be of service so that I can then raise my voice and then empower others to raise their voice so that it can actually get louder and louder and louder, and people feel empowered that someone else is also willing to raise their voice. And sometimes it takes just that first step. And we as dietitians, we know taking that first step is probably the hardest part in so many different ways, right? Now we are talking about advocating here, but we know this applies in so many other parts of our professional life as well. And so, yeah, it's, going back to your question is like, yeah, it's someone has to start and we have to start somewhere. So I noticed that even though I couldn't vote necessarily in a local election or a national election, there were other places that I could, you know, raise my voice or make my voice heard. And I started there. So start where you can. It could be a homeowners association or, you know, wherever you are that you can make your voice heard. And by you raising your voice, you are really empowering someone else to say, yes, you can speak up too. And sometimes speaking up for someone else who may not be willing to raise their voice is also a way to get them to get the courage to speak up. Yes, that's so powerful and so true. 
And I think the biggest take-home message listening to what you were just saying, Manju, was start where you are, because a lot of people don't. Where do I start? Well, start where you are and just continue to amplify the message. So I want to go over to Sandra now and ask you the same question. What is some advice that you could share? Well, most of my experience has been with medical advocacy. And I would say that the most effective way to advocate for yourself and to others is to be familiar with the medical history and the family history so that you can give correct information and the doctors and nurses and techs feel like they can talk to you on a, on a level that, you know, that's not too high. That's not, you don't have to have gone to medical school, but that you at least know what the issues are and what the possible treatments can be. And then to educate yourself about the illness and the tr possible treatments, it's really important that you don't just sit back and just hope for the best. You need to be part of the team so that you can make the best decisions and give permission for the correct procedures. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and what I heard in that is like a lot of times people will be afraid to say something because they think, oh, I'm not in the medical profession. I don't know about this. But I think as you continue to educate yourself in, in the situation that you were in, Sandra, which I'm sure you'll explain more about, you educated yourself and that's how you became more familiar and you continued to open the lines of communication and just the con continual advocacy, which was so important and powerful. So thank exactly. you. And my next question, when did you experience the moment when you realized that silence is not an option anymore and nothing will ever be the same again? Well, for me, silence is never an option when it comes to healthcare. But last September, my son, I mean, I'm African-American and I know that even though I grew up, you know, I was well, I'm well-educated and have a lot of advantages, people look at me and decide certain things about me that are probably not true. I've had to be very assertive when it comes to medical care for myself and especially for my family. But like I said, silence is never an option for me when it comes to health. Last September, my son was rushed to the hospital with COVID-19 in the middle of the night. Early the next morning, for example, I got a call telling me to come and pick my son up. I knew he had COVID-19 and I knew he was infectious and I knew he was having trouble breathing. So I insisted on knowing his diagnosis. The nurse who called me didn't want to tell me his diagnosis. So I insisted. Then she told me that he had COVID pneumonia and was in respiratory failure. I told her that I refused to come and pick him up. He had not been in the hospital for 24 hours. They were sending him home to die alone. That put me on high alert. I knew I was gonna to have to fight for him every minute he was in the hospital. He was in the hospital for four months. So I fought every minute of every day for four months for him. And your story and your journey and your advocacy, it's very strong. Hopefully everyone has somebody to advocate the way you advocated for your son, Sandra. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't, but I think we need to start making those, those connections and those relationships now so that we can help each other through any kind of situation that we have. If it wasn't me, there were, there were a couple of other people that I was able to tap into. There were, I had lots of friends and friends of friends who had people who had been hospitalized with COVID-19 and were, weren't minorities, and they were getting drastically different treatment than my son was getting. So knowing about those treatments, I was able to say, well, does he meet the protocol for this treatment and why isn't he on it? And then the response I would get is, we'll start it right away because I knew what to ask for. I didn't know what I woke up that morning, but I was on the phone, I was reading articles, I was reaching out to people and I got the information that I needed. 
And what's good now is being through that, you can advocate for others and teach them how to advocate for themselves. That right there, I think, is helpful to anybody else going through the same experience and not knowing what to do. It just yeah, it's, been, it's been very helpful. And people want to help. They want to share their experiences and they want to give you good advice and help you. People are, I've found that people have been very kind and very generous connecting me with people that I didn't even know that had advice for me. And I wrote down everything and synthesized it and brought up as many things to the physicians as I could. And they really started treating me very differently after that. They started to understand that I understood and that they could talk to me and that I was going to be part of the team, not a bystander. Thank you for sharing all that. And I want to ask you, Manju, when was the moment that you realized that silence was not an option? I, you know, it's such a profound story, Sandra, and thank you so much for sharing. I really cannot top that. And I'm so glad you were there to speak up for your son and be there. That is just impressive. And I have to say that I have not had such a personal, you know, not someone in my immediate family who has had that experience. But again, when you are I'm just going to use the term foreigner, someone from another country, my cousin's mother-in-law was in the hospital, for example, you know, not speaking the language as fluently. She spoke English, actually, she could answer the questions, you know, when the medical team walked into her room or anything like that. But again, not being familiar with the protocols or the food or something like that. And mind you, her daughter and son-in-law are also physicians in the hospital that she was admitted in. So it's not like she was in a place that was not, you know, she came from, but I was able to be there with her in the hospital and be there as an advocate for her to be a mediator. And similar to you, Sandra, I think having that information about even the medications that were being given to her, having some knowledge and trying to understand more about what is exactly happening. I think taking that active role into it and not just letting the care team make the decisions based on, oh, the person who happens to be in the bed is not either taking active role in it or just making decisions without their consent uh, and not letting that happen. You know, standing up for the person who is not necessarily able to say exactly in those words or in their language that they're used to. That's where I realized that that patient advocacy is such an important role to play. And I have not only seen that only in healthcare, but I remember speaking with Lisa, I had mentioned to her, I am actually part of a group of activist women where we act slogan was show up, speak up and stand up, right? So it's not just that you are there only to speak up for yourself, but we're going to educate ourselves on what the issues are. We're going to make sure that we show up when the need is. So if there is a march, we're going to show up there and we're going to speak up for on behalf of those who may not be able to speak up if we see the injustice that is happening. And that is very crucial. And that's where I was speaking about the empowerment at the beginning, because sometimes we have to speak up on behalf of someone who may not be able to stand up and speak. Oh, I love that. That I just wrote down, show up, speak up, stand up. And I think if everyone goes about their day and has those three things in mind, that right there 
in my opinion, can help with advocacy and advocating for what you believe in. Which, but that also leads into the next question for individuals or groups that want to get more involved in advocacy. What recommendations do you have to get engaged? And that's where one of them could be the slogan, show up, speak up and stand up. Right. Because it's not enough just to show up. Right. It's kind of if you think about social media, for example, oh, I I hit a like or I hit a share or that's not enough. What else are you actually doing? Right. Because it's the action that matters. It's not just the hundreds of likes or hundreds of whatever. It's actually doing something about it. Is that action actually making some impact? And in terms of our professional realm right now, we know that we are fighting for equitable healthcare access. And, you know, we have such a great example, Sandra just shared, that we know that there is such disparity. Not everyone has the same access, even when it comes to nutrition services, right? And right now, what we are fighting for the last two years that has shown us is that it is even like the COVID has really taken this to another level. It's become even more profound that the disparities have really become way more than what they were before. Now, in just, what, 10 days, I'm losing track of time here, maybe a week, not even 10 days, we have the advocacy summit coming up. And that is going to be a great opportunity for uh, professionals um, from our field to be on the Hill and advocating for equitable access to our services. That's what we're going to be fighting for. And it's not just making sure that they get to see the dietitian, but making sure that those who actually deserve the nutrition services actually have access to it, that those that are available in their community have access to it. The lots and lots of nutrition programs that are in the community that actually get funded right? The funding that happens through the congressional authorization and whatnot, that actually happens. We have to, as professionals, we have to fight for it because eventually it is the public that benefits from it. And that's what we're fighting for. That's that's the the upcoming opportunity right now. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And we can put that information for anybody that hasn't registered yet for that event. Unfortunately, the registration has passed, but you, you can always take action online. <laughs> there you go. And I saw on Twitter, you bring up a good point, Manju, about social media. I saw what you posted this morning. So I think like really social media can help amplify the message. And I do kind of see what you're saying. Like a lot of people are just like it because they're busy going about their day. Like what action are they taking after? So that's a really great point that you make to make sure you're taking an action besides a like or a share. How about you, Sandra? What do you think about individuals or groups that are looking to get more involved and specifically about the type of advocacy that you do? So if there's any recommendations from you. Well, I've always worked alone or with my family. So I would love to get more information about Manju's group and other groups like that, because I think that could only make it more powerful, maybe not easier, but make it feel like the road is a little less rocky. But I've always just done it on my own. So I wanted to mention earlier that when I mentioned my my brother earlier, my brother was born deaf and we're all less than a year apart. Watching the way 
the difference between the way people would treat me, just when we go to get you know fast food or something, the way that some people would treat me first the way that they would treat them. You know, I grew up watching, seeing, seeing that big disparity and having to speak up and say, no, you're not going to treat him like that. So it's something that I grew up doing. And as my brother got older, he had health issues. I was always taking him to the doctor. He had a great interpreter towards the uh, end of his life. But, but even if, it's not always just the language, though. It's just the way that people assume that, that you should be treated. And sometimes that needs to be corrected. Well, I think what I'm hearing is it's just the there's continual work. You can like you can't just be like, I advocated today. I'm done. It's an everyday, all day thing. Every day, all day. And there's, from what it sounds like, there's so much work that still needs to be done. Exactly. And it builds on itself though, as you start, even if you start and you feel kind of nervous about it or shaky, every time you do it, you get a little bit stronger. You learn a little bit more, you get a little bit more powerful. I think that's a, a really important thing for people to hear that you grow into it. Yes, you grow into it, but you've been doing it since you were little. So <laughs> like the people that are just starting now, like in, in adulthood, it's kind of like, you feel like you're you're climbing a mountain and it zigzags, but eventually you go, you keep going up. Yeah, one so. of the things, Lisa, I will share is that the first time I was on the hill, for example, and I was with an experienced dietitian with me who had been on the hill many times. And one thing she said to me, it I always use that when I'm mentoring other dietitians who I take with me on the hill now, even though it's all virtual now, <laughs> is that remember that the people we are going to speak with are also people. They're also, you know, we are just sharing our stories with them. It's not that they are something completely, you know, they may have a different title or they have a particular, you know, something behind their name, but they're also people. They also have lives, they have families, and that's what matters that we are talking people to people. Yes. It's a good thing to keep in mind because you can get nervous because they're Senator, whoever, and you're, <laughs> that's intimidating to some people. So you're right. It's just the person on the other side of the table that's willing to listen to what you you have to say. Yeah. All right, great. So the next thing we want to do is move into one story or analogy example, showcasing the work that you've done in advocacy. So if you can think of one story, an impactful story, I think for Sandra, I would love if you would share, I know you're a speaker and you do, you talk about your son, Nelson. Did you want to, and I know you have many stories, many amazing stories. Did you want to share just one of them that you think would be a good showcase? Well, my son had to be transferred from one hospital to hospital with higher, higher level of care when he was ventilated and he had to be put on a, in a hospital that had an ECMO machine. When the, hosp- when the second hospital wanted to discontinue my son's life support without my permission, I tried to get a lawyer on my own, but I wasn't successful in getting one to take the case. So a friend of mine called a news station and the news station called me for an interview. I did a few interviews on the news and that led to a feature in the Washington Post. And that led to an organization agreeing to pay for, to getting a lawyer for me and paying for the lawyer. At that point, the administration from his school that my son worked at, he was a teacher's assistant and his college friend and some family members protested at the hospital. And between all of those things, I wanted the hospital to take the time to pursue other options. And between having a lawyer and the press, the media attention and the protest, the hospital backed off of the disconnection of life support 
and tried to get him a lung transplant in another city. So putting that pressure on them was really effective. Thank you for sharing that. It's always hard to follow Sandra's story. So I hate to be the one following her stories, but I'm so, so pleased to hear your story, Sandra. And it's impressive that you were able to get all of those people to get behind you. You know, it always takes a village. I'm glad you were able to get those, the army, as you said. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it really, they were, they were getting behind my son because he, he went out of his way to be as helpful and generous as he possibly could. I think that all of these people showing up for him and the energy that they put into it, and even strangers who didn't know him, I think that just made a big difference that, that, that had a big, big impact. They yeah. were showing it for him. So my story has a little bit to do with not necessarily us as a profession, you know, or a healthcare, but somewhat related to healthcare. My mother was an obstetrician. And even though I grew up in a third world country, women's rights were always taken for granted. I never thought about women's rights until I came to this country. And I'm like, wait, in the United States, it's up for grabs? Really? Like, you got to be kidding me. So I have been involved with, you know, women's rights issues for a long time. And actually, as I said, even before I was a citizen, and I couldn't even vote. But I'm like, that's okay. I can do other things. I can educate other people and make sure they can vote. Anyway, I served on an organization's board here locally, and we recruit, train, and support women to run for legislative offices. And here in my state, the state itself is actually very purple as a demographic. And uh, women's rights have been up for grabs and, you know, things have been done to it. But we were able to break the supermajority in our legislature by electing nine women to the legislature in the House and in the Senate. And I was the chair of the organization at the time. So it's very proud to have been able to do that. And I had a chance to speak at the Women's March in our town at the time. Yay, congratulations. Wow. Amazing. So I thought my mom would be proud. Thank you. Both really good stories. Now, how about for our audience, one takeaway message, if you could just say one takeaway message that can help them become better advocates, what would that one thing be? What should they be aware of? What should they do? Besides just start from where you are, anything else that you can think of? I would say in terms of advocacy, even though we want to think about making an impact with statistics and, you know, numbers and things, because that's what we hear about in news and things, right? What really gets across is what pulls at your heartstrings. I mean, think about Sandra's story just now. So it's the story that really matters. So when we're trying to convince someone of something, it is the stories that matter the most. Well said, I echo that. And Sandra has many more of those stories where they came from. They're amazing. Sandra, what would you say? Besides stories. <laughs> I would say if you do have a loved one in the hospital, and especially if they can't advocate for themselves or speak for themselves, to make sure that the medical team sees your loved one as an individual person, make it clear to them that you want them to do everything they can to save your loved one. Uh, don't let them think that they're just, that there's nobody out there that's going to miss them or that loves them. Right now, across the country, hospitals are slammed and they're doing the best that they can round the clock with so many COVID cases and other cases that are coming in. But whenever possible, 
let them know that information about your loved one, that they're an individual so that they actually see them and don't just a, a person in a bed. So they feel seen. I love that message. It's very powerful, making sure that somebody feels seen. Well, thank you. Your work, both of you, your advocacy work, I find to be very amazing. And you continue to honor Nelson in the work that you do every day, every minute of every day of your life, Sandra. That's commendable. And Manju, we see you in the dietetics profession. You're very visible. So she's seen, we see her (laughs) and continue to do your amazing work. So moving on from advocacy, I thought we would have a little fun and just the audience wants to get to know you both a little bit more. So a couple quick questions, they'll call the lightning round, and then we'll, we'll close this episode. So I'll start with you, Manju. What foods are your all-time favorites? Oh, there are so many because I love food. <gasps> Obviously, chocolate, especially dark chocolate, any vegetables. If I had food in front of me, I am more likely to go for all the vegetables that are in front of me than anything else. And it's not really because I'm a dietitian. This was always the case before I became a dietitian. So people always say to me like, oh, you're a dietitian. Of course, you're going to go for the veggies. I'm like, oh no, that has nothing. I genuinely love vegetables. And so does my dog. Dog vegetables, but don't give the dog chocolate from what I hear. So yeah, I know. I try to keep that to myself. Very good. How about you, Sandra? What's your favorite food? Salted caramel cheesecake. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) And it's 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 guiding me through many a rough moment. (laughs) That's very specific that it's salted caramel, not just cheesecake, but salted caramel cheesecake. Now I want some cheesecake. (laughs) All right. If you had a garden, which plants would you want to grow in it? I would have chili peppers and herbs. How about you, Sandra? I would have apple trees and grapes Mm. and pear pear trees. Oh, very nice. I want a garden. (laughs) (laughs) How about this one? Which one of the following do you prefer? Do you prefer vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry? Uh, Personally, chocolate, 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 chocolate. Chocolate, all day chocolate. How about you, Manju? I was going to say that I think you should have guessed that one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I would be shocked if you said anything else. And my last question, which foods remind you of your favorite holiday? Oh, apple pie reminds me of Christmas and Thanksgiving because my grandmother used to make these homemade apple pies. And when I went away to college... I had a little moment. I was thinking, now how am I going to get my <laughs> my pies? At the, you know, if I'm just, my grandmother was in Washington D.C. and I went to college in Boston, and my grandmother surprised me. She made apple turnovers. She would send these huge boxes of apple turnovers so that I could have my pie and I could share with my friends and with the other people oh. in the dorm. So everybody was happy. <laughs> nice. You're probably advocating for pie too, right? <laughs> how about you, well, Andrew? For me, it is really Indian sweets and specifically laddus, the typical ones that my mom made with something similar to cream of wheat. It's not exactly cream of wheat, but it's like cream of wheat. And uh, my mom made them the best way. And they were made at uh, Diwali, which is our like Christmas festival of lights. And that definitely, I make them every year around that time as well. So, oh, nice. Now you guys have me hung. It's time to go eat, I guess, right? I know. It's almost, (laughs) yep. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much, Sandra and Manju, for being on the show and sharing your insights with us. I hope you continue to show up, speak up, and stand up and advocate for what you believe in professionally and personally. This is Lisa Jones, and I am the moderator of the 4-in-1 podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you can continue to check out more episodes on our website. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.